0: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show.
2: Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing, Clark Hilton Engineering, and Dan Rice has given up the use of his office for the sake of the cause. In our second hour today, we're going to uh, talk with Os Hillman. He's the author of 31 Decrees of Blessing. For your work life that's coming up in the second hour of today's program well the National Weather Service has issued an excessive heat warning it starts on Saturday it goes through Monday hot temperatures continue through next week so if you are an Oregonian you like the cold wet weather this is not going to be for you well no change in the forecast for the upcoming heat wave this is a highly unusual pattern for June, certainly here in the Pacific Northwest and the Portland metro area, um, we've never done that uh, in June before. The Northwest is looking at an historic and unprecedented heat wave that starts on Saturday. We're going to see three days in a row of triple digits. Now, we know that that may or may not be the case, but it looks like right now we could see some pretty hot weather. June's all-time record high in Portland is 102 degrees, and we are going to very likely break that. Uh, Portland's all-time record high is 107 degrees. That was reached in 1965. Twice in August of 1981. We'll break that possibly twice. Well, Portland's all-time warmest overnight low temperatures, 74 degrees, will likely break that too. Um, you kind of get that idea. 109 degrees for Sunday, 107 degrees on, uh, Monday. We'll go back to regular hot weather in the 90s. Regular hot weather in Portland. <laughs> In the 90s beginning Tuesday, but it's uh, going to take several more days before we stay out of the 90s. Um, It's going to be a pretty warm few days here in the Portland metro area. Well, the heat wave forecast to hit the Northwest this weekend is leading to cancellations and delays for many outdoor events and activities. The Portland Timbers, they moved the start time of their um, match against Minnesota United FC from 730 to 8 o'clock p.m., um, that's on Saturday. Some food carts have already decided that they're going to close. Uh, it's just uh, not uh, feasible to be in a hot food cart, trying to prepare for hot food. Um, the adaptive cycle resource fair which was scheduled for saturday was postponed because of the heat the event's meant to teach people that the benefits of cycling with parkinsons a new um uh, date has not yet been set but that will be rescheduled uh with the nonprofit parkinsons resources of oregon on the other hand the portland night market plans to remain open friday and saturday but uh will take extra precautions to keep visitors cool outside we've got sunshades a big Uh, Misters, lots of fans, and inside we've got lots of swamp coolers, so they're planning to accommodate for the uh, hot weather as well. Well, health officials are asking the public to have a cooling plan in place ahead of the triple digits we're expecting. County health officials are urging people to take forecasted record-breaking heat very seriously, um, we know that heat kills, that's a quote from Multnomah County Health Officer, Dr. Jennifer Vines. She's worried that people could die, and if they're not prepared for the heat wave this weekend, that may well be the case. In our Union Gospel Mission Radiothon, it was mentioned several times that this is a real threat for the homeless population, our neighbors on the streets in the Portland metro area. And one of the things that Search and Rescue is going to be doing over these next several days is providing water where needed. Uh, once again, um, the Multnomah County Health Officer, Dr. Jennifer Fines, says, I don't use that word lightly. Uh, But when we look at the forecast, that's solidifying into the triple digits with a high of 107 on Sunday, plus not so much cooling in the evenings. There's not really a break for our bodies to recover from the heat. Well, starting Friday through at least Monday, Multnomah County is going to open three cooling shelters from 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. They're asking people to make a note of them now. And, in fact, if you see someone who's struggling, you might want to make note for that possibility in the future. You can refer them. The Oregon Convention Center in northeast Portland, Multnomah County's Arbor Lodge Shelter on North Lombard Street in North Denver and the Sunrise Center at uh, 18901 East Burnside in Gresham. So you've got Portland, Uh, uh, I should say Northeast Portland, North Portland, and in Gresham. Now, the county may open additional cooling centers. Anyone that needs transportation to a shelter should call 211. Updated information on cooling shelters will be posted uh, throughout the next several days. Vines said Multnomah County shelters have a uh, no-turn-away policy. We don't want people suffering heat illness or exhaustion outside our doors. Uh, Vines added that volunteers would be checking uh, the shelters for proper ventilation and asking guests to observe social distancing and to wear masks which will only exacerbate the uh, very uncomfortable uh, conditions covid precautions take a back seat for these next few days where heat is really the main um, health threat vine says In Clark County, COVID is creating a dilemma when it comes to cooling shelters. A lot of the locations there that they normally use for cooling centers aren't available. That's according to Eric Frank, the public information officer with the Clark Regional Emergency Services Agency. We're trying to get creative and figure out new options and what we can do, again, in Clark County. Well, Frank said that uh, the county rather hopes that by Thursday, sometime today, we would release a list of cooling shelters that will be available. In the meantime, they're asking those who can to offer building space to meet the need. We're really looking at our faith-based organizations and businesses that are willing to step up and open their doors and help us out during these record hot days, uh, Frank went on to say. And that's, again, the Clark Regional Emergency Services agency, Agency, Eric Frank, being the public Uh, Information Officer. Those interested in offering space in Clark County as a cooling shelter can submit their information uh, to the, uh, uh, the county. Besides looking out for family members and pets, Vine suggested people remember their friends and neighbors when the temperature rises over the weekend. If you have a place to stay cool or you can get to a place to stay cool, bring someone else with you. Um, who may not have that option. So, again, this is being taken very seriously when it comes to the conditions over the next several days here in the uh, Portland metro area. Meanwhile, Governor Jay Inslee announced uh, today a bridge proclamation. It's a plan to transition Washington out of the state's current eviction moratorium by the 30th of September. Joined uh, by this week's 250,000 COVID-19 vaccine lottery prize winner Marissa Pease from Spokane, the governor also addressed the eviction moratorium he put in place in response to the COVID uh, uh, pandemic. Uh, The plan will move the state from the moratorium to housing stability programs the state legislature put in place, he explained, saying that right now the eviction moratorium is set to expire the 30th of June. Uh, The bridge looks to uh, take advantage of more than one billion dollars in federal funds available for local governments to provide rental assistance for residents. It also anticipates programs approved by the state legislature, including the eviction resolution pilot programs and the right to counsel program for uh, indigent tenants. Well, Surfside Mayor Charles Burkett said on Thursday that the worst has yet to come after the devastating collapse of a Champlain Towers in South Florida. The Surfside, uh, Florida mayor saying the tragedy is beyond any of our imaginings. We got the call at about two o'clock this morning. We came out. We've got a modern building that just collapsed, a large modern building, 12 stories, 130-unit condominium on the ocean just collapsed. It looks like there was an earthquake. It's inexplicable, and we are all scratching our heads trying to figure out what the problem is, what happened. Um, We've got a tragedy here that's beyond any of our imagination. We've got 15 families out this morning in the middle of the night. We've got a third or more of the building that collapsed like a pancake that I don't even want to think about. Um, what we find in that area. Furthermore, he said uh, that families who lived in the upper floors were able to walk out on their own, but those in the lower floors, no. Apparently, they couldn't get out of the lobby because it was blocked by a uh, blocked rather, but they were able to get out. I believe on the second floor, of the pool deck. Ten people were treated, and two were sent to the hospital. Unfortunately, one passed away. And then I think he went on to say a little bit later on. And I don't uh, see that, but uh, we had that little boy that was found, uh, which is a little bit of good news. Well, dozens of resu- uh, uh, rescuers, rather, in South Florida are searching for survivors today after the apartment. Um, building partially collapsed, killing at least one person. Authorities told reporters that they have uh, rescued 35 people from the building so far, with two people rescued from the rubble itself, Uh, and the uh, search continues. The numbers uh, have climbed since the initial uh, collapse of the building in terms of those who are yet to be found, but thought to be somewhere in that rubble. Well, in other news, President Joe Biden announced an agreement on a bipartisan infrastructure package on Thursday, giving his stamp of approval to a plan spearheaded by 10 senators. The new consensus marks the end to uh, many weeks of negotiations and partisan gridlock over the president's chief legislative priority. Now, I say that, but I don't by any stretch of the imagination believe this puts an end to it. It just quiets it down for a moment. The president said outside the White House shortly after the deal uh, broke, uh, we uh, we have a deal. They have my word. I'll stick with what we, they've proposed and they've given me their word as well. Where I come from, that's good enough for me. Well, he's already said he wants more. We'll tell you more about that in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
0: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I want to remind you in the second hour of today's program, I'll have a conversation with Os Hillman. He's the author of 31 Decrees of Blessing for your work life. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. Well, as I mentioned, President Biden today announced the White House has struck an infrastructure deal with a bipartisan group of senators after weeks of painstaking back and forth negotiations on a plan to improve the nation's crumbling roads and bridges. Now, the the, uh, use of the the, uh, word infrastructure is somewhat misleading because it has to do with much more than that, which is actually infrastructure. But I digress. To answer the direct question, we have a deal, the president said uh, from the White House House Lawn. Well, White House Lawn. We've made serious compromises on both ends, he said. Well, his announcement followed an Oval Office meeting with a bipartisan group of senators who were pitching a breakthrough pared down agreement worth about nine hundred and fifty three billion dollars reached the night before. Well, their proposed framework includes about five hundred and fifty nine billion dollars in new spending that's going to be invested in roads broadband internet electric utilities and other traditional infrastructure projects over the next five years here's the breakdown roads bridges major projects 109 billion dollars safety 11 billion public transit 49 billion passenger and freight rail 66 billion electric vehicle infrastructure 7.5 billion electric buses transit 7.5 billion reconnecting communities 1 billion not sure what that means airports 25 billion ports and Waterways, 16 billion. Infrastructure financing, 20 billion. Water infrastructure, 55 billion. Broadband infrastructure, 65 billion. Environmental rem- uh, remediation, 21 billion. Power infrastructure, including grid authority, 73 billion. Western water storage, 5 billion. And resilience at $47 billion. Again, I don't know what resilience refers to. No one got everything they wanted in the package. That's a quote from Senator Kirsten Sinema, a Democrat from Arizona. Uh, we uh, all gave some to get some. One of the biggest points of contention uh, was how to pay for the measure. Yeah, paying for, declaring is one thing. Actually paying for a measure is another. And that was a sticking point throughout this whole ongoing debate. Um, uh, Apparently, they came up with some ideas. According to the White House fact sheet, the financing sources included in the assortment of options, such as a reducing the IRS tax gap, a gap rather, redirecting unused federal unemployment money from the 26 states that are prematurely ending the relief program and repurposing other COVID relief measures. Rather interesting. 21 senators, 11 Republicans, 10 Democrats have endorsed the framework, although it will likely need to win the support of Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer in order to meet the 60-vote threshold needed to pass legislation in the Democrat-controlled Senate under regular order. Well, Schumer and House Speaker Pelosi, they met with President Biden on Wednesday night. They've indicated that they will support a bipartisan plan, with the caveat that Democrats independently pursue a larger reconciliation package that includes Trillions in funding for issues like elder and child care, education, health care and climate change without the promise of a forthcoming reconciliation bill. Some Democrats have questioned whether they're going to support a slim down bipartisan bill. There ain't no infrastructure bill without a reconciliation bill. That's a quote from Nancy Pelosi speaking to reporters earlier today. Well, President Biden threw his weight behind the strategy during a White House press conference later in the day, telling reporters he would not sign the bipartisan proposal without a separate human infrastructure and climate change package that includes his other economic priorities. He suggested that uh, the he supported Pelosi's strategy to not move the $953 billion package until the Senate passes the reconciliation bill. If they don't come... I'm not signing. It's really simple, the president said. He says he expects that Congress will have voted on the core infrastructure plan and the reconciliation package by the end of the fiscal year, September 20th of this year. So we'll see what actually happens. Well, there are three things that we're being told Republicans have to avoid during the infrastructure negotiation. The first trap, as it's being referred to, is negotiating from left of center Um, We haven't heard much lately about the infrastructure and we have a bit of a framework now, but not uh, not many of the details. And although Republicans lack control of both chambers, razor thin majorities mean that they still exercise leverage. They're vulnerable on several points. Uh, Again, the first trap being pointed out by David Ditch is negotiating from left of center. Everyone expected the Biden administration to release an infrastructure proposal, but its contents were genuinely shocking. Massive taxes on private investment at the exact time the economy needs it most and huge amounts of spending on the things with no connection to infrastructure at all. With the Biden plan being far left of the longstanding bipartisan status quo, Republicans have struggled to make headway during the negotiations. So that's one of the pitfalls or the traps. Another is producing a bipartisan boondoggle. The development of bipartisan infrastructure proposals is reminiscent of what happened with the COVID 19 stimulus. In late 2020, House Democrats produced a a hard-left stimulus bill, and for months, Speaker Pelosi refused to budge from demands for trillions of dollars in unjustified spending. That stalemate was broken in December when a bipartisan group formed to craft a package that was uh, smaller than what Ms. Pelosi wanted, but still very large. The new package was bipartisan, but it wasn't a good policy. Instead, it was loaded with special interest bailouts and unnecessarily handouts, to um, state and local governments, so that's another trap. The third, allowing a reconciliation backdoor. Already, the president has said he will not accept um, the infrastructure without reconciliation. Earlier this year, Democrats produced a 1.9 trillion dollar spending package, falsely marketed as COVID-19 relief. They used the legislative procedure known as reconciliation to pass that bill on party lines. And that is uh, precisely what uh, we anticipate will happen this time around. Also Democrats are vulnerable to having uh, reconciliation fail if they lose a single vote within their Senate caucus. Thus Democrats have a very strong incentive to work with Republicans on the issue. Yet that still leaves Republicans with a glaring vulnerability. It's possible for Democrats to work across the aisle on an infrastructure package that includes highway bill programs, then use reconciliation to pass the huge amount of non-infrastructure spending in the Biden plan. Uh, Senate Democrats are weighing up to $6 trillion in new spending, which would make it the largest bill in history. Most of that amount would go toward expanding the welfare state, not infrastructure. So what should Republicans push for during the infrastructure negotiations? Well, first, they have to receive strong public assurance that Democrats won't use reconciliation to get the remainder of their spending demands. That's already uh, proven to be uh, impossible, given what we've already heard. Now, this could include Uh, Providing more flexibility to state governments and the private sector to raise and spend their own funds, reforming federal red tape that adds billions of dollars and years of delays to construction uh, costs, and focusing federal funds on projects that will generate value rather than checking political boxes. And finally, Republicans have to seek to rein in federal spending rather than rubber stamping yet another wasteful spending spree. Congress has a tremendous opportunity to write an infrastructure bill that would put the public good ahead of political benefits. Whether or not that's actually going to happen, I'm doubtful, but hope springs eternal. I know that's a contradiction, but I'm trying to balance this out. It needs to avoid all the potential pitfalls along the way. But again, we're talking about politicians. So the possibility is, uh, well, slim to none. Well, Vice President Kamala Harris is finally heading to the border on Friday after months of bipartisan criticism. Well, The Vice President is set to visit the U.S.-Mexico border. On Friday, the White House confirmed amid mounting criticism from both Republicans and some Democrats for not yet doing so following her appointment by the President to handle the root causes of migration. Well, The Vice President is set to visit El Paso, Texas, accompanied by Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Well, the Vice President has come under heavy fire for the way She has handled the role since being appointed to it three months ago, and while the White House has emphasized she is tasked with root causes of the migrant crisis, Republicans have criticized her repeatedly and some Democrats for not having visited the border at all, with former Trump officials saying she needs to travel there to gain insight on the issue uh, that the border communities have been dealing with. Well, earlier this month, the vice president visited Guatemala and Mexico in her first trip outside the U.S. since being appointed by the president to help solve the massive spike in migration to the U.S.-Mexico border in recent months. Of course, if you take a, a quick look at Biden policies, that would give you a quick explanation. Reversing those policies would give you a quick solution, but I doubt very seriously that's what the vice president will do. In other developments, former President Trump's upcoming border visit has forced the vice president's trip, Republicans say. Ted Cruz ripped the vice president after the border trip announcement. They realized, oh, goodness. We got to do something. Use different words, words I don't use. Kamala Harris has gone 92 days without a visit to the border thus far. NBC's Lester Holt suggests that his Kamala Harris interview is uh, what sparked her decision to finally visit the border. And the White House said it's an appropriate time for the vice president's border visit after the vice president dismissed it as a grand gesture. Politico is being panned for blaming the vice president's border visit on an unrelenting chorus of GOP critics Lester Holt might find that um, somewhat demeaning. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. We'll be back.
0: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, on Governor Newsom's recall effort, California officials verify more than one point seven million signatures. In other words, it's moving forward. California's effort to recall Governor Gavin Newsom has succeeded in forcing a new election within 90 days following the validation of more than 1.5 million signatures, according to state officials. The California Secretary of State's office confirmed the tally Wednesday evening. The recall petition garnered over 1.7 million signatures, of which only 43 were withdrawn, leaving the effort well above the 1.5 million threshold. A sufficient number of verified recall signatures had previously been reached by recall proponents in April. April, the Secretary of State's office announced in a statement. However, in accordance with California election law, voters were given a 30-day period from the 26th of April through the 8th of June to request county officials remove their signatures from the recall petitions. Sadly, only uh, upwards of 40 to 50 individuals chose to do so. The next phase of the recall process is now in the hands of the state's Department of Finance, which is tasked with estimating the cost of a special election. In other developments, NPR found that uh, Gavin Newsom misled and overstated California's wildfire prevention efforts. His response has faltered, they reported. And Newsom says California will pay off unpaid rent accrued during the coronavirus pandemic. Well, Britney Spears has requested that her conservatorship end, saying, I just want my life back. Spears was speaking out about her conservatorship. The 39-year-old, 39, she's 39. Wow, that makes me feel, oh, I don't know, 65. The 39-year-old singer addressed the court for the first time in recent years on Wednesday. During the virtual hearing in a Los Angeles courtroom, Spears expressed her desire to have her conservatorship end. I don't think I was um, uh, heard on any level, Spears said, at the last time she spoke in the court in 2019. The uh, Grammy-winning court-appointed lawyer Samuel D. Ingham III also addressed the court and indicated that he would not uh, interrupt Spears at any moment. Uh, During her speech, Spears alleged that her father, Jamie Spears, loved the control he had over her as her her conservator. I just want my life back, she said. All I want is to own my money and my boyfriend to be able to drive uh, me in his car. I want to sue um, my family, end quote. A very sad situation there. Well, an apartment building near Miami partially collapsed. Emergency crews were called to the scene. Uh, Many are still uh, declared missing. A Florida police officer is uh, critical after being shot in the head, a manhunt is underway for the coward suspect. And President Biden touts a new crime prevention strategy focused on gun control. A disabled Marine Corps veteran says that he was kicked off of a Florida flight because of his service dog. In business, John McAfee was found dead after a Spanish court approved extradition to the United States. A bipartisan infrastructure group plans to present a proposal to the president. They've done that. He's accepted it. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac shares cratered after a Supreme Court ruling. And Fed officials say the temporary inflation surge may last longer than thought. Warren Buffett says he's halfway to his goal of distributing his wealth to charity. President Biden to gun owners. You need nuclear weapons to take on the government. When a rambling, inaccurate speech on gun control, that's what the president said. Democratic Congressman Eric Swalwell added this bizarre tweet. And it would be a short war, my friend. The government has nukes, too many of them, but they are uh, legit. I'm sure if we uh, talked, we could find common ground to protect our families and communities. Really? We're talking nuclear weapons against citizens of the United States? In the gun control debate? Well, from the New York Post editorial board, he slurred his words. He called the ATF the AFT. At one point, he talked about the history of the Second Amendment and the blood of patriots before concluding that someone would need nuclear weapons to take down the government. If you weren't uh, confused, you were horrified. From the Babylon Bee, which is, of course, a satirical um, group, Uh, you'll never beat the government with just guns, says some. a party that also believes government was almost toppled by unarmed mob on January 6th. (laughs) Very well, uh, very well put. Democrats are suddenly okay with voter ID requirements. Now, this is, from my perspective, comical. Remember when it was declared racist by Democrats in the media? Well, now that Democrat Senator Joe Manchin's compromise includes voter ID, Democrats are seeing no issue with it at all. So what was once considered racist has now suddenly become perfectly acceptable, not only that, but reasonable for the protection of our voting system. Well, the BBC reports a heartbreaking condition at a child migrant camp. Now, you're not going to read that in the media today because you have a Democrat in the White House, but from the BBC story, the... A U.S. media is choosing to ignore. At a U.S. border detention center in the Texan desert, migrant children have been living in alarming conditions where disease is rampant, food can be dangerous, and there are reports of sexual abuse. An investigation by the BBC has found through interviews with staff and children. From Brit Hume, this is what happens when you tell them not to come, but they continue to come anyway, believing with good reason that uh, if they come, they will get in. Good for the BBC for covering this. Meanwhile, long after Biden deemed her the woman in charge of the border, the vice president is finally planning a trip, uh, a visit there that's uh, due tomorrow. Well, Democrats are stepping up their efforts to appear tough on crime. As I mentioned yesterday, that's an issue they're concerned about. With the midterm elections approaching, the New York Times piece begins with this. Facing a surge in shootings and homicides and persistent Republican attacks on liberal criminal justice policies, Democrats from the White House to Brooklyn Borough Hall are rallying with sudden confidence around a politically potent cause funding the police. Wow, these reversals are um, really quite staggering. Well, a university uh, puts, uh, puts out a list of words considered violent, such as picnic. Much of it is absolutely absurd, creating controversy where there is none. Uh, One uh, tablet columnist, Wesley Yang, looks at a number of false etymologies, including one coughed up by Joe Biden. Uh, you you think something sounds like something else, you put it together, you, it refers to something you assume and therefore you declare it racist when in fact the etymology of the word has nothing whatsoever to do with what you've decided it does. Meanwhile, Brett Favre has blasted the Olympics for allowing a man to compete against a woman or women. The Hall of Fame quarterback said, It's a man competing as a woman. That's unfair. Favre must now prepare for the cancel culture attacks. They're coming. Congressman Dan Crenshaw, he says it's time to end mask mandates in airports. And he's introduced a bill with Senator Rick Scott to do just that. San Francisco plans to require all city workers to get the covid vaccine or they'll be fired. Freedom only goes so far as, well, San Francisco. A New Jersey school board reversed its decision to eliminate holiday names after parents protested. They wanted Thanksgiving and Christmas, for example, among others, merely called days off could be rather confusing. When do we put the lights up? Uh, The recall of California Governor Newsom moves forward with more uh, than enough signatures. The Supreme Court ruled for a high school cheerleader in a First Amendment dispute over social media profanity, and the high court uh, sided with uh, California Farms, I should say with California Farms, in a case involving a labor union proselytizing. And President Biden removed the Federal Housing Finance Agency director after a Supreme Court ruling. And Facebook's announcement on conservative satire, conservative satire, doesn't bode well for the Babylon Bee. They've been singled out. Well, In the annals of the Social Justice Caliphate, an FAA panel uh, recommends changing terms like cockpit and man-made to gender-neutral equivalents. I know I feel a lot better just thinking about it. A Teddy Roosevelt statue is being removed from outside the American Museum of Natural History over complaints of racism and colonialism. I I guess I'm um, it's rather interesting to me. I'm flattered that they think we know enough of our history to even understand that Teddy Roosevelt, what role he may have played. So I guess that might be somewhat flattering. They overestimate people's understanding of our own history. IKEA Atlanta is apologizing for their Juneteenth menu that included fried chicken and watermelon. That apparently is supposed to be insulting if you happen to be celebrating the emancipation of African-Americans on Juneteenth. I'll leave that for another day. Around the nation, data suggests a likely link between COVID mRNA vaccines and a rare heart issue in teens. And the U.S. trust in news is the world's lowest. Red state recovery, more jobs, lower unemployment rather interesting hong kong's last pro democracy newspaper apple daily will close for the record the co- the uh, communist shutdown of hong kong's last free press is an indictment of western fools i need to take a break here in a moment but before i do i'm going to squeeze in um, some of the uh, events that took place on this well actually i'll wait for our next segment on this day in history you're listening to the georgine rice show we'll be back
0: you're listening to the georgine rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 kpdq
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, on this day in history, 1947, what's regarded as the first modern UFO sighting takes place uh, as private pilot Kenneth Arnold, an Idaho businessman, reports seeing nine silvery objects flying in a weaving pattern near Mount Rainier in Washington. 1957, the U.S. Supreme Court in Roth v. United States rules 6-3 to three that obscene materials are not protected by the First Amendment. 1983, the shuttle uh, Challenger, the space shuttle Challenger carrying America's first woman in space, Sally Ride, coasts to a safe landing at Edwards Air Force Base in California. 1992, the Supreme Court, in a 5-4 decision, strengthens its 30-year ban on officially sponsored worship in public schools, prohibiting prayer as a part Part of graduation ceremonies. 1997, the U.S. Air Force releases a report on the so-called Roswell incident, suggesting the alien bodies that witnesses reported seeing in 1947 were actually life-sized. Dummies. 2004, federal investigators questioned President George W. Bush for more than an hour in connection with news leaks of CIA operative Valerie Plame's identity. 2004, as well, New York's Court of Appeal rules the state's death penalty unconstitutional. On this day in history, 2016, British Prime Minister David Cameron, he resigns after the Brexit vote. And in 2018, Saudi Arabia lifts its ban on female drivers. Finally, on this day in history, 2019, President Trump signs an executive order issuing new hard-hitting financial sanctions against Iranian Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khomeini and his associates for recent aggressive actions, including the shooting down of a U.S. drone. Well, the U.S. National Institutes of Health deleted gene sequences taken from early COVID-19 carriers at the request of Chinese researchers raising concerns about Beijing's efforts to conceal information crucial to the the virus origin investigation. Uh, Chinese scientists asked the NIH rather to eliminate the sequences after submitting them three months prior, the NIH told The Wall Street Journal. Submitting investigators uh, hold the rights to their data and can request withdrawal of the data, the statement from the NIH says. Well, according to the National Institutes of Health statement, the researcher asked that the sequences be removed from the data because uh, they had been updated and were to be rerouted to another database, the name of which remains unknown. The paper mentions that use of an advanced sequencing technology to detect SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID. Well, the deleted data includes sequences from early virus samples taken from hospitalized patients in Wuhan who were believed to have contracted COVID in January and February of 2020. That's according to a non-peer-reviewed paper authored by Jesse Bloom, a virologist at the Freed Hutchinson Cancer Research Center in Seattle. Bloom told the journal that the deletion of the sequences from the NIH created a somewhat skewed picture of virus. Uh, viruses circulating in Wuhan early on. He added that it suggests possibly uh, one reason why we haven't seen more than these uh, sequences is perhaps there hasn't been a wholehearted effort to get them out there. So while this may have been legitimate, it certainly makes it more challenging to understand the origins of COVID-19. Well, the CDC advisory panel suggests a likely link between the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines and rare reports of heart inflammation in younger age groups. The COVID-19 vaccine safety technical or vast work group uh, which um, presented during the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices meeting on Wednesday, said the data available to uh, to date suggests likely association of myocarditis with mRNA vaccination of adolescents and young adults. The group noted myocarditis most often appears after the second dose, which uh, was similar to data reported through another organization. While well, it doesn't appear that mRNA vaccines may be a new trigger for myocarditis yet, uh, it does have some different characteristics. That's a quote from Dr. Matthew Oster uh, in the, uh, from the Vaccine Task Force during the panel meeting on Wednesday. Another doctor, the Deputy Director of the Immunization Safety Office at the CDC, noted 484 preliminary reports of myocarditis and pericarditis among vaccinated people under 30 as of the 11th of June. That's against a backdrop of over 27 million administered doses. Now, of that 27 million, I don't believe they fall in that age group, but I'm not certain. Of the total 323 uh, met CDC case definitions for myocarditis and/or pericarditis, 309 of whom were hospitalized, 295 were discharged at the time of analysis, and at least 79% recovered from symptoms. Nine remained hospital uh, in hospital care, with two in intensive care, and 14 weren't. Hospitalized. Well, the Biden administration's COVID response team uh, held a news conference on the 22nd of June in which they announced that once the general population reached 70% vaccination, that would be our goal and things would change. Well, we now know that there's no mathematical certainty, according to Dr. Fauci. um, Seemed like a reasonable number, he says, with regard to picking it out of whole air. Well, the president's uh, response team says the United States has not yet met its aspirational goal of having seven. Excuse me, 70 percent of all adults receive at least one vaccine dose by the 4th of July. And where did the 70 percent target come from? Well, again, Dr. Fauci told a news conference on Tuesday that it seemed like a reasonable number to do. It was empiric. I mean, there was no mathematical certainty to it. But I think most not. I think I know that most of us agreed that that was quite a reasonable number End quote. Apparently, science was not a part of it. Well, Fauci also said 70% is not a goal line. That's the aspirational goal, he said. The goal line is to completely crush this outbreak, and that's the end game that I showed on my first slide. So no one should think that when we've reached this 70% across the country that we're done. We're not done until we completely crushed the outbreak. White House COVID-19 response coordinator Jeff Zients Um, He told the same news conference, we have already met the president's 70 percent goal for all U.S. adults 30 and older. That's right. For those ages 30 and above, 70 percent have at least one shot. The problem, Zients said, is younger adults. And given what I've just um, uh, said, uh, we've learned about its impact on some uh, younger people and their uh, hearts, myocarditis or um, the other version of it, uh, that may explain at least some reluctance. Meanwhile, once dismissed as a conspiracy theory, today a 60% majority believe that COVID-19 was created by scientists and leaked from a lab in China. That's according to a new Fox News survey. Now, I just want to clarify, I don't believe for a moment that the outcome of a poll which is always limited in scope somehow reveals the truth but it does tell us what people's perception is based on information misinformation misleading and confusing information that's come out over the last um, what year and a half well that majority is largely comprised of 79% of republicans 58% of independents who blame a lab leak 41% of democrats agree while 46% believe the virus evolved from nature no direct scientific evidence has been made public that conclusively proves either perspective, but there are reasons for that as well. In other news, Senate Republicans uh, blocked a sweeping legislation on election and campaign finance reform that Democrats said is crucial to ensuring voting rights and saving democracy, but Democrats blasted as a partisan federal takeover of elections. The For the People Act, as it was so aptly called, needed 60 votes to clear the procedural vote in the Senate on Tuesday, but Republicans filibustered, killed the legislation from advancing to debate. No Republicans joined with the 50 Democrats on the motion to proceed. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said the Republicans would uh, won't stand for uh, for Democrats' attempt to impose new voting standards on states that would rig elections in their favor called the substance of the nearly 900-page bill rotten to its core. Republicans took issue with imposing federal standards on state elections that they said would weaken state ID requirements. They also opposed uh, starting a new public finance system for congressional elections and politicizing the Federal Elections Commission that enforces campaign finance laws. Even GOP moderate Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska said she couldn't support the partisan federal takeover of the election system. In a floor speech, she said, She'd back elements of the bill and will co-sponsor the separate John Lewis Voting Rights Act, but can't back Democrats' one-size-fits-all reform. Now, we're being told that uh, while that particular version failed, the one that's coming may be worse in some elements. We'll continue to follow that story. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We need to take a break for news and traffic here at the top of the hour. When we return, we'll hear from Oz Hillman, author of 31 Decrees of Blessing for those uh, for Your Workplace. That's coming up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
0: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next couple of segments, we're going to talk with Os Hillman. He's the author of 31 Decrees of Blessing for Your Work Life. The book is published by Broad Street Publishing. He'll join us in our next couple of segments. Well, the Supreme Court ruled in a unanimous decision on Monday that the NC2A has illegally restricted education-based benefits that could be used as compensation to student athletes. Well the case was brought by current and former student athletes who played college football as well as men's and women's college basketball. They sued the NCAA and 11 conferences claiming that the rules restricting compensation violated antitrust laws. The lower court ruling maintained the NC2A's rules of generally forbidding payment to student athletes while allowing the education related aid. The students accepted this, but the NC2A fought it, eventually bringing the case to the higher court. Well, to the extent the NT2A means to propose a sort of judicial or uh, judicially ordained immunity from the terms of the Sherman Act for its restraints of of trade, that we should overlook its restrictions because they happen to fall at the intersection of higher education, sports and money, we cannot agree. End quote. Well, that's Justice Neil Gorsuch writing the court's opinion. Gorsuch made clear that the athletic organization can still enforce rules that forbid schools from paying students salaries or giving them outlandish gifts to lure them to their programs. Under the current decree, NC2A is free to forbid in-kind benefits unrelated to a student's actual education. Nothing stops it from enforcing a no Lamborghini rule, he said. Justice Brett Kavanaugh, in a concurring opinion, took the NC. 2A to task, arguing that even the remaining restrictions are questionable. I add this concurring opinion to underscore that the NC 2A's remaining compensation rules also raise serious questions under the antitrust laws, Kavanaugh wrote, uh, making clear that the court's decision does not address the legality of those rules because they were not at issue on appeal. Kavanaugh went on to make a case against those remaining rules. So this may not be the end of that very controversial story. Well, the Supreme Court also ruled on Wednesday that a Pennsylvania school district infringed upon a student's right to free speech by penalizing her for expressing a profanity-laced social media message off school premises. Justice Clarence Thomas dissented from the eight justice majority, Justice Stephen Breyer penned the majority opinion stating that it might be a te- it might be tempting rather to dismiss the student's words as unworthy of the robust first amendment protections discussed herein, but sometimes it's necessary to protect the superfluous in order to preserve the necessary. As established by precedent, students do not shed their constitutional rights to freedom of speech or expression, even at the schoolhouse gate, Breyer affirmed. Brandy Levy is a Pennsylvania high school student frustrated with not qualifying for her school varsity cheerleading team, sent a Snapchat message to about 250 people filled with swear words. Well, After another student screenshotted the image and presented it to the coach, the school took disciplinary uh, disciplinary action against Levy, Uh, by barring her from the squad in order to avoid chaos and preserve a team-like environment. Well, the photo depicted Levy and her friends with with their middle fingers in the air, as well as a chain of curse words referring to her situation. I won't even attempt to characterize what was said. She filed a lawsuit against the school district, claiming it violated her First Amendment liberties. A three-judge bench at the United States Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit in Philadelphia handed her a win, arguing that public schools cannot punish students for speech outside school grounds however disruptive speech uh, such as words inciting violence or unrest can be prohibited with threat of penalty if on school campus the court said while the judges ruled in levy's favor their uh, reasoning diverged on uh, whether schools can crack down on disruptive speech off school grounds that could potentially interfere with school activities on campus such as cyber bullying or racist threats well, Judge Thomas uh, Ambro wrote in a concurring opinion that not all off campus speech should be immune from oversight and discipline. He said that the First Amendment protected Levy's uh, pr- virtual message, however, because it did not disrupt the school's orderly conduct, despite the cheerleading coach implying that it could sow chaos. Well, Justice Breyer, while well, siding with uh, Levy, suggested that the court recognizes that there are certain scenarios where the First Amendment can be limited for students. We have also made clear that courts must apply the First Amendment in light of the special characteristics of the school environment. Well, Justice Thomas, in his sole de- uh, dissent, contended that uh, by being a current ath- um, athletics participant, Levy's words could have caused damage to the school, justifying the imposition of a penalty as a deterrent. He said that students like the former cheerleader who who are active in extracurricular programs, have a greater potential by virtue of their participation to harm those programs. Well, a Colorado baker and self-described cake artist who won a 2018 victory at the Supreme Court faced a related setback this week when a state court ruled in another case. This is another separate case that the law requires him to make a cake to celebrate a gender transition. Denver District Court Judge A. Bruce Jones ruled against Jack Phillips, the Christian owner of Masterpiece Cake Shop in Lakewood, Colorado, in the case of Scardina. Versus masterpiece, Cake Shop. Well, the anti discrimination laws are intended to ensure that members of our society who have historically been treated unfairly, who have been deprived of even the everyday right to access businesses to buy products, who are no longer treated as others, Jones wrote. Um, This case is about one such product, a pink and blue birthday cake and not compelled speech, Jones wrote. Well, Phillips has maintained for years that his Christian faith doesn't allow him to create custom cakes celebrating certain things, same-sex marriage, gender transitions, adultery, Halloween. The list goes on. Well, Phillips' lawyer argued that Colorado has continued to try to punish him, this time for declining to send a message supporting gender transition by baking a pink and blue cake for a party celebrating such a transition. In 2018, uh, the case before the Supreme Court, they ruled 7-2 that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission was hostile toward Phillips' Christian faith and trying to force him to create a cake celebrating the marriage of two men. However, the high court crafted its decision in such a way but it didn't set a broad precedent for freedom of speech and religion. They may regret that because it's likely to come up again. Phillips will appeal the district judge's ruling, uh, according to Kristen Wagoner, general counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom. Um, which is representing Phillips from the beginning in his legal troubles. Jack Phillips, she says, serves all people but shouldn't be compelled to create custom cakes with messages that violate his conscience. He would uh, certainly create a cake for the individuals who ask for this particular message, but with a different message. In this case, an activist attorney demanded that Jack create custom cakes in order to test Jack and to correct the errors of his thinking. And the activist even threatened to sue Jack again if the case is dismissed for any So this is the follow up of a threat that was made following the Supreme Court decision, um, trying to force the issue and force a change in the way Jack Phillips uh, approaches uh, his convictions in this area. Well, a top Internal Revenue Service official told a Christian group that the Bible teachings are typically affiliated with the Republican Party. I know there are lots of Democrats who would probably want to take issue with that as a uh, rationale for denying its application for tax-exempt status. Well, the Texas-based Christians Engaged filed an appeal on Wednesday to the IRS uh, denial, objecting to the tax agency's assertion that it is partisan because the scriptures reflect, according to the IRS, a more Republican worldview. Martin said Christians Engaged is involved in prohibited political campaign intervention and operates for a substantial non-exempt private purpose and for the private interests of the Republican Party. Now, Christians Engaged would argue, uh, would beg to differ. Uh, A legend at the top of the uh, letter shows nine letters of the alphabet being used as shorthand to represent something. In this letter's example, oddly, D represented Republican. OK, specifically, you educate Christians on what the Bible says in areas where they can be instrumental, including the areas of the sanctity of life, the definition of marriage, biblical justice, freedom of speech, defense and borders uh, and immigration, U.S. and Israeli relations. Martin wrote the Bible teaching are typically affiliated with the D party and candidates. This disqualifies you from exemption under IRS Section 501. Well, Christians engaged first apply for tax exempt status in late twenty nineteen. Uh, First Liberty Institute uh, is representing the Christian group in its appeal. We just want to encourage more people to vote and participate in the political process. Christians engaged. President uh, Pounds said in a statement, how can anyone be against that? Well, the IRS characterization of the Bible might be inconsistent with that of Democratic President Joe Biden. Uh, said the uh, council from Liberty uh, First Liberty Institute representing the organization, the IRA states in its official letter that biblical values are exclusively Republican. That might be news to President Biden, who is often described as basing his political ideology on his religious beliefs, Patterson said in a statement. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, have a conversation with Os Hillman. Thirty-one degrees of blessing for your work life. That's coming up right here on the Georgine Rice Show.
0: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety-three point nine KPDQ.
2: You're listening to the georgine rice show well the truth is most of us spend much of our time at work just like i'm doing right now where we contribute our efforts and our talents now for many christians for many believers like myself the workplace is another environment in which we can choose to express and share our faith how do we do that effectively? Well, my next guest, Oss Hillman, is the author of 31 Decrees of Blessing for Your Work Life. He believes it's critical for Christians to pray for God's presence in their workplace and to utilize his word to ensure success and impact. He's the president of Marketplace Leaders and teaches readers that blessings can come from praying decrees when we pair those decrees with both a maturity in faith and leading uh, by the Holy Spirit. In 31 Decrees of Blessing for Your Work Life, Hillman shares 30. 31 biblical promises uh, to decree over your career, your coworkers, your community, and your family. Well, Os Hillman is an internationally recognized speaker, author, and consultant on the subject of faith in the workplace. He has written 20 books on faith and work-related subjects and writes a daily workplace email devotional entitled TGIF Today God is First, which is enjoyed by thousands of readers across 105 countries every day. So we're pretty blessed to have him with us here. He has been featured on NBC cnbc the los angeles times the new york times the associated press he's the founder and president of marketplace leaders an organization designed to equip others to live out their calling in and through their the marketplace and through his, this ministry he and his wife live in atlanta georgia but we are fortunate to have him by phone today to talk about his latest book 31 decrees of blessing for your work life os hillman thank you so much for joining us
1: georgine good to be with you thanks for having me today
2: well, I so appreciate it. You are considered an expert on topics related to faith in the workplace. I just want to begin by talking about the notion of faith in the workplace, because there's a tendency to sort of uh, delineate, OK, faith belongs in my home. It belongs in the uh, in the church, but not necessarily in the workplace. Can you talk about uh, the the harm in um compartmentalizing life so that the work uh, environment is something separate when it comes to our faith in the minds of some and don't see how that one can live out one's faith in the workplace.
1: Well, sure. You know, in Colossians 3.23, it says, whatever you do, do unto the Lord. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. So that's a core verse in understanding that all of life is spiritual and that there's not a dichotomy between One thing being secular and one being spiritual, but all of life should be spiritual according to what the scripture teaches us. Uh, It's man's uh, thought that one should be separated from the other, and it's taken us a long time to understand that, you know, God wants us to express our faith Mm -hmm. life through our working life.
2: What are some of the common concerns and challenges among Christians when it comes to faith at work? Because there is some pushback in some places.
1: Well, I think sometimes uh, people misunderstand, and, you know, we live in a very toxic environment today where you have to be careful what you say almost on any subject, (laughs) you know, much less Mm -hmm. faith, but, uh, you know, uh, God calls us to be salt and light wherever we are, and uh, that's really what the gospel teaches us to do. Now, it doesn't mean that we always have to you know, share the gospel with somebody in our workplace, Uh, sometimes it's modeling the character of Jesus in that workplace. Sometimes it's praying for somebody when they uh, share some kind of need that they have or maybe meeting for coffee before or after work. You know, there are a lot of ways we can express uh, love and care to fellow employees and even pray for our employers, uh, and God calls us to do that.
2: You believe Christians should know how to pray for God's favor and blessing in work that requires spiritual maturity and Bible study. Um, you make an important distinction between that and, and declaring things in the sort of the name it and claim it uh, worldview. Can you talk a little bit about why it's important for believers to pray for God's favor and how to go about that in a way that's consistent with what the scriptures teach?
1: Sure. For most Christians, we, we have our toolbox of evangelism or devotions or giving or Bible study or worship or prayer all of those are given but what I found was that people don't uh, uh, have a tool that I identified in this book uh, that's really identified in Job twenty-two twenty-eight. that says thou shalt also decree a thing and it shall be established unto thee and the light shall shine upon thy ways we see uh, these, this example of decreeing in the Bible all the way back in Genesis where God said, let there be light, and then he said, let there be oceans, and he basically decreed the, the earth into existence. God told Ezekiel to speak to the dry bones, and Moses was told to speak to the rock, and uh, Joshua was told to uh, speak to the walls after walking around them seven times. Jesus spoke to the fig tree, and, uh, you know, he also spoke to Lazarus to come out of the uh, tomb. Peter even spoke to the crippled man to get up. So there were examples where God led somebody to speak to something to cause a breakthrough, and that's what we're trying to help people understand about the Christian life, that it's more than the do's and don'ts or following certain rules or, you know, the Christian life can be an exciting life. And uh, there might be times where he might call you by leading of the Holy Spirit to actually speak to a situation that you find yourself in.
2: Let's talk a little bit about the way the book is structured. Um, I know that uh, each day, uh, it's a devotional, each day includes an encouraging devotion based on a spiritual truth. Um, Empowering decrees are part of the the book, Bible passages, and um, activation to mobilize your faith. Talk a little bit about how The book is structured for those who uh, want to live the full uh, life in the workplace that God intends.
1: Yeah, there's 31 days, and each day starts out with a story. And each of those stories has a theme uh, for that day. And that theme is uh, represented by 10 decrees that are based on 10 scriptures. And uh, we encourage the reader to say those decrees out loud. And once they do that, they'll read the activation paragraph, which draws their attention to how do I apply that in my own situation. And we give uh, a prayer at the end and also an opportunity for them to share their thoughts. So it's a great devotional, especially for couples. My wife and I have gone through it together. And it it gets your mind in the right place and uh, makes you more proactive about your faith.
2: Now, can you give us an example, because I don't want our listeners to imagine that um, this is some sort of magic formula, that by looking at these few things and then reciting that thing, that somehow you're producing an outcome. Help walk us through that so that listeners who don't have a copy in their hands understand what you're describing.
1: Sure. Well, uh, in Matthew 16, 19, it says, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth would be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth would be loosed in heaven. And also in Luke 17, it says, so the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and planted by the sea, and it would obey you. You know, one time uh, several years ago when I was just starting to write books and get published, it was the, the internet was really just getting going. And I had to take a thousand copies of the book uh, to get this publishing contract, and so I agreed to do that and I was working out of my home. And so I had this thousand copies of books down in my basement, there were several boxes of them. And uh, after several weeks, I noticed that I was only selling two or three books a week and I didn't, uh, didn't, didn't think that was good. And so um, one Saturday morning I woke up and all of a sudden this verse out of Matthew uh, came to mind about speaking to your mountain. And I said, hmm. And so I walked downstairs, and I laid my hands on my books, and I said, in the name of Jesus, get out of the basement and go be a blessing to someone who can use these books. Well, I felt kind of funny doing that, but uh, nevertheless, I did it. And a strange thing happened that afternoon. It was Saturday when my business was closed. I actually got a phone call from a ministry in Dallas, Texas, that ordered 300 books and it was a three thousand dollar order. And I said, Wow, there's something to this.
2: <laughs> We're talking with Os Hillman. He is the author most recently of thirty-one decrees of blessing for your work life. We're going to continue our conversation in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine
0: Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. My guest is Os Hillman. He is the author of 31 Decrees of Blessing for Your Work Life. He is uh, the founder and president of Marketplace Leaders, an organization designed to equip others to live out their calling in and through the marketplace and through uh, this ministry. He also has written 20 books on faith and work-related subjects and writes a daily workplace email devotional entitled TGIF, Today God, is first now what are some of the topics that you cover in the book which is a 31 decrees of blessing for your work life a devotional
1: sure like day one is speak to the glory of god and it's a story about a businessman who gave his business to the lord and how he supported christian missions through his business for over 40 years and then uh, day two is speak to your mountain an example of a similar story as as mine of a businessman out of Sweden who spoke to a problem in his business and God uh, miraculously came through. Another day is speak provision for the needy where sometimes you have uh, financial needs and you need to speak to that. And uh, some uh, we have another one on marriages and God's protection and innovation and new ideas. Uh, speak peace over conflicts, over team members and um, blessing over clients and customers. So there's 31 in all, and it takes about uh, 15 minutes to go through the entire uh, devotional. Yeah, for each chapter. Each day, each day, (laughs) not all. (laughs) Um,
2: What are some of the responsibilities that business owners have to remember regarding, as you referenced a moment ago, helping the poor, tithing, making a cultural impact? in terms of their faith and their devotion and um, having an impact on the marketplace.
1: Well, I think what we're trying to to encourage business owners and people in the workplace is to what does it look like to manifest God's presence in the area of your calling? What does it look like to do banking from a biblical perspective? What does it look like to sell cars from a biblical perspective? So what is the DNA Of a Christian in the workplace and it should be different and uh, you know the New York Times called me several years ago to do an interview that they were doing in their newspaper and uh, the writers were confused they said what's the difference between a Christian in the workplace and a non-christian and I said well I believe there's four things that you can cite Christians in the workplace are different one is they want to do their work with excellence two they want to do it with integrity three they want to do it with servant leadership and four they want to experience miracles in their work life and uh, those things should be modeled in uh, how we do our work
2: should be yeah (laughs) it certainly should be now um I know for a lot of uh, folks, this has been a very difficult season. Uh, it's been a challenge for the last year and a half because of the pandemic. Um, what do you say to those whose success is uncertain, who are facing difficult times, and how God can use uh, them to further his kingdom through these challenging um, weeks and months?
1: Absolutely. You know, that. You know this has been a very um, interesting season. For, for many people, it's been a blessing. You know, they actually thrived in it but for other industries it's been a very very difficult season for them and so you know but that's really business isn't it you know we have ups and downs in our lives and uh, in our work life as well and you know the Bible speaks to that as well you know there was a, a great Old Testament story where a widow came to Elijah and said you know I'm on my last meal uh, I don't have anything, and he said, well, what do you have in your hand, or what do you have in your house, and and she says, I don't have anything, and he said, do you have any oil lamps, and she said, yes, I have some oil lamps, and he says, well, I want you to collect that, and I want you also to go to your neighbors and collect their oil lamps and borrow them from them, and then I want you to go in your house and pour oil in your lamps and she poured oil in her lamps. well the oil didn't stop flowing it went (laughs) it kept flowing and Mm -hmm. flowing and flowing and said now now I want you to go and sell that oil and that is what you're going to live on and so this is a great principle that whenever we hit lean times we need to ask what do I have in my hand that I might leverage or turn into a resource it could be a re- relationship. It could be uh, a, a talent that I've had dormant for years. It could be someone I need to call. It could be something I have in my house I need to sell, you know. And it kind of forces us to, you know, think of how God can come into that situation and multiply what we uh, might not even perceive as a resource.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. are there modern day examples of people who have experienced breakthroughs by making decrees
1: oh yeah and that that's what this book is all about It's 31 days of people who have made those decrees uh, and saw breakthroughs in those decrees and uh, you know i have a a mentor of mine that uh, had a plastics company and he uh, had a thousand pallets of these plastic bags that fit over the hay bales that are shipped out uh, at at the harvest season and they came in one day and realized that the bags that go over had turned into solid plastic they there had been a molecular breakdown in the plastic and uh, his uh, president said well I guess our business is over you know this is this is our total year sales you know so um, they went to prayer and they asked God about this and The family, um, you know, prayed, and the Lord seemed to impress that they were to stand against that, and uh, that they were to uh, pray into that situation. They went out to the plant Sunday night, and they laid hands on every pallet of a thousand bags, uh, a thousand pallets of bags, and, and to their shock and amazement, the following morning on Sun Monday morning, the bags had reversed, and uh, the. The inspectors who inspected the problem came back and proved that a miracle had taken place. And so, you know, these uh, things do happen. But, you know, so, so often we, we uh, become Monday morning atheists on Monday. Uh, we get all excited on Sunday but don't realize that God cares about business and he cares about our work life. And uh, we have to change that.
2: We're talking about the book, 31 Decrees of Blessing for Your Work Life. My guest is Os Hillman, who is the founder and president of Marketplace Leaders. Tell us a little bit about Marketplace Leaders and how you uh, help others.
1: We um, help individuals understand that their work is a calling, and we do that through training and equipping uh, our devotional, todaygoddessfirst.com, is a daily four-minute devotional that simply helps people understand their calling in the workplace. And uh, we also set up a website for this book called 31decrees.com that helps them. is actually a video that helps them understand how to use the book and some of the stories in the book and how to decree uh, things into your own workplace and uh, learn this tool uh, that can be useful in your own work life.
2: Again, 31 com. that's the best way for them to follow up with uh, this book?
1: Yeah, that's a, they'll get some resources, and they, they'll have a link to the devotional as well as other training that we do for believers to help them understand that their work is a calling.
2: Amen. Well, Os Hillman, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us clear over on the Uh, in the Pacific Northwest. I appreciate the devotional and I appreciate your your time knowing how busy you are. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Georgie. God bless.
2: God bless you as well. Os Hillman is an internationally recognized speaker, author, and consultant on the subject of faith in the workplace. He's also founder and president of Marketplace Leaders. The book is 31 Decrees of Blessing for Your Work Life. Uh, Just a great resource. I'd put it on my desk and you can thumb through it day by day. And you're really just um, decreeing what scripture says is already true. You you don't have to make anything up or imagine something that isn't the case. Uh, just a great resource. And it's uh, it's beautifully done as well. It's a relatively small book. It, it's a leather-like and just uh, it would make a great gift for someone who might be starting out in business or might be struggling in business. Uh, a great gift as well. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up.
0: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Just a heads up, tomorrow is Friday. We're going to take a look at the serious headlines, but we'll also take a look at the lighter side of the news and we'll share the Christian outlook with you in the second hour of the uh, the program. So I hope you'll join us on Friday, a very hot Friday on the Georgine Show. Well, unprecedented heat wave. That's what they're calling what's coming to the Portland metro area. The National Weather Service, they've issued an excessive heat warning. It starts on Saturday. It goes through Monday. and Hot temperatures are going to continue through next week. We're talking about in the 90s. Um This is unprecedented. This is a highly unusual pattern for the month of June. According to computers, that's what meteorologists rely on, um, it's been very consistent with how this is going to play out, leading to higher confidence in the forecast for all-time record-breaking heat. So for those who are insiders and in the know, they say, yeah, we can get it wrong sometimes. This does not look like one of those times. The Northwest is looking at an historic and unprecedented heat wave Starting Saturday, we're going to see three days in a row of triple digits. We've never done that in June. June's all-time record high in Portland is 102 degrees, so we're going to break that. Portland's all-time record high is 107 degrees, reached once in July of 1965, twice in August in 1981. Uh, We're going to break that, possibly. Portland's all-time warmest overnight low temperatures, 74 degrees, and we're likely to break that, too. You get the idea. 109 degrees on Sunday. 107 degrees on monday then we're going to go back to hot weather in the 90s that's starting on tuesday but it may be several more days before uh we stay out of the 90s so um it's going to be a hot one and they're encouraging us to take that very seriously particularly if we are vulnerable in some way or elderly and i um I've been thinking a lot about, okay, we're not going to spend time in the backyard with uh, with mom, even with the fountains going and the sprinkler on. Uh, it's just not going to happen over these hot days. Well, the heat wave leads to closures and cancellations. Um, the, because it's been forecast, the Portland Timbers, they're moving their start time, uh, their match against Minnesota United FC from 7.30 to 8 o'clock p.m. I'm not sure how that makes a difference except that, I guess, There's going to be the possibility of cooling off on Saturday. Some food carts have already decided that they're going to close. Uh, You can imagine trying to cook a meal in a tight enclosed place. That's because of how hot it can get inside those carts. Um, The adaptive cycling resource fair that was scheduled for Saturday, that's been postponed because of the heat. The event is meant to teach people the benefits of cycling with Parkinson's. Uh, New date hasn't yet been set, but according to the nonprofit Parkinson's Resources of, of Oregon, they postponed the event because those with Parkinson's have a sensitivity to heat, which could trigger heat stroke. Uh, And again, there are vulnerable uh, groups among us, and we need to look out for one another and take care of each other. On the other hand, the Portland Night Market plans to remain open on Friday and Saturday, but they're going to take extra precautions to keep visitors cool. Outside, they say they have sunshades, big misters, lots of fans. Inside, they've got lots of swamp coolers. That's according to the founder of the Night Market, Emma Evans. She says that the market will also have air conditioning at the event, which is open to the public Uh, with local vendors. So keep that in mind. We hope to keep everybody cool and keep the party going all weekend long. So there are some locations and venues you might want to check before heading out to a particular event to make sure that they haven't changed the time or changed the location. Um, in Clark County, uh, COVID is creating a dilemma when it comes to cooling shelters. A lot of the locations there that they normally use for cooling centers aren't available. Uh, that's according to Eric Frank. He's the public information officer with the Clark County Regional Emergency Services Agency. They're trying to get creative and figure out some new options and what, uh, what they can do, and they're hoping to make some announcements available, uh, if not uh, today, uh, early tomorrow. Uh, Frank says that the county hoped by today, they would release a list of cooling shelters that will be available. In the meantime, they're asking those who uh, who can to offer building space uh, to meet the need. Looking for faith-based organizations, churches, in other words, uh, mosques and other facilities, businesses that are willing to step up and open their doors to help out during these uh, record hot days. That means making it available to the public who otherwise um, are in a very dangerous and precarious position with the three-digit temperatures. Those who are interested in um, offering space as a cooling shelter can submit their information to the Clark Regional Emergency Services Agency. Besides looking out for family members and pets, uh, Vines suggests that people... um, Uh, remember their friends and neighbors when the temperatures rise over the weekend. And if you have a place to uh, stay cool or you can get to a place to stay cool, bring someone else along with you because that's going to be very helpful. In the Portland metro area, county health officials are urging people to take uh, forecasted record-breaking heat very seriously. We know that heat uh, kills, that's a quote from Multnomah County Health Officer Dr. Jennifer Vines. She's worried people could die if they're uh, not prepared for the heat wave this weekend. We talked about that in the Union Gospel Mission Radio Radio-thon, and uh, it might have uh, sounded like, oh, that's just an exaggeration, but no, that is uh, is uh, sadly true. And our neighbors who live on the streets of the Portland metro area, many of whom will be visited by the search and rescue band from the Union Gospel Mission, providing them with water and other resources they're going to need to survive these next few very, very hot days. Um, So we know that that's going to be uh, one of the provisions available. We also know that the county is making uh, facilities available for those who need to just go someplace where it is cool for them. Uh, Vine says, I don't use the word uh, lightly, referring to the fact that uh, heat kills. Uh, but when we look at the forecast that's solidifying into triple digits with a high of 107 on Sunday, plus not so much uh, cooling in the evenings, that's not really a break for uh, our bodies to recover from the heat. Starting Friday through at least Monday, Multnomah County is going to open three cooling shelters. They'll be open from 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. They're asking people to make a note of them now. And I would encourage you to make a note if you happen to cross paths with someone who is struggling And needs to know where they can go. The Oregon Convention Center in Northeast Portland will be available. Multnomah County's Arbor Lodge Shelter on North Lombard Street and North Denver Street, uh, Denver Avenue, rather, and the Sunrise Center. At eight nine I should say one eight nine oh one East Burnside in Gresham, those are the three centers they're hoping to open others as well cooling centers and again from one pm to nine p m when things will start to cool down a little but not uh, significantly. Uh, the county may be uh, opening additional centers anyone needing transportation to a shelter can call two one one if you find someone on the street, for example, who's struggling, you can call two one one updated information on cooling shelters will be posted. Uh, And in some cases, uh, cases, transportation can be provided. Vine says Multnomah County shelters have a no-turn-away policy. We don't want people suffering heat illness or exhaustion outside of the doors of these cooling facilities made available. She added that volunteers would be uh, checking the shelters for proper ventilation, asking guests to observe social distancing and to wear masks. COVID precautions take a backseat for these uh, next few days where heat is really the main health threat, but they're going to do the best that they can to help serve Our neighbor, so keep that in mind two one one if you see someone in distress and who may need transportation to one of the cooling centers that I've mentioned. Want to thank James Blend for producing, Clark Hilton for engineering, and Dan Rice for the use of his office. Have a good night.
0: Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show Podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at KPDQ.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show. And like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.